0: Amen. Thank you Jeff and youth workers and uh, we celebrate today our graduates I want to say congratulations and uh, uh, all the hard work the study and the staying up late and the getting up early worked out for you parents you uh, got them right where you wanted them to be so congratulations to you and uh, to our graduates I want to say we're very proud of you and your accomplishments what God has blessed you to do, your educational journey, your academic achievements, whether it be in high school or college, and we're thankful for God's equipping of our young people, his work in their lives, and we certainly see it through our, our youth group over there and the ministry here. We see many of these young people from children, and they're our children's program and a preschool and Miss Kim's program in Awana. And, VBS and the children's programs all around the church and we see them go into the youth group and then eventually graduate and be going off to college and we're thankful for God's work in their life over the years and that we have a privilege uh, really to be a part of that and finally I'm thankful for them and that God has a plan for their lives God has created each of them unique each of them with spiritual gifts and abilities and I look forward to how God Is going to use you for his honor and glory in the days to come. I want us to spend a few minutes thinking about our graduates and moving out into life. And though much of this message might be directed to them today, it is applicable to all of us. It is a message simply entitled, Decisions. Decisions. Up to this point in your life, through high school, your hardest decisions have been, what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? And which movie am I going to see? Your decisions from here on get a little bit more complicated after that. From here on, you're going to begin to decide more life-impacting things, things that are much more consequential. Some of you are going to college. You had to make a decision. Where am I going to go to college? What am I going to study? Prayerfully, I pray that you prayed over what is it God wants me to do? What profession am I going to pursue? What's going to be my career? You have to decide that. Unless mom and dad are just going to let you live at home forever, which is probably not likely. So you have to decide on a a career, some kind of path that you're going to take. Some of you will decide soon do I move out? Do I stay at home while I go to school? Some of you will meet someone or you already have met someone and you're going to think about getting married. You certainly, that's a life altering decision, changes the trajectory of your life as God gives you a, a helpmate to come alongside and help you in life. You will come to a point where you will decide on. Things like buying a home or renting or financial decisions and all of these decisions that you're going to face in life as a graduate become much more impactful in your life and I might suggest to you, biblically, need to be prayed over much more than what am I going to wear and what am I going to eat. When you make those life-altering decisions, even for us who are older, we need to ask God before we do it and ask if that's God's will in our life and what he would have us to do. To talk about decisions, I want to use two verses this morning. But before you get all excited, he'll be done quick. Now, I can do a lot with two verses. And so we're going we're to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, if you want to take your Bible and turn there. Decisions, and that's exactly what Jesus talked about in this passage. This passage, these two verses come at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So the context is this. Jesus had been teaching for several chapters, a sermon, if you will, and then he concludes near the end of the sermon with this point of decision, this confrontation, if you will, this call to decision. Look at verses 13 and 14, a very familiar passage to most here. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many... Who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. This passage was from Jesus a call to decide, a call to a decision. He had been teaching the Sermon on the Mount and had laid out the precepts of the kingdom of God. And after he laid out those precepts, when he came to the end of the sermon, he said to them, You have to decide. Many times after a message, we, we have uh, what's called traditionally the altar call. We give an invitation at the end. Do we do that just because it's a, a function of the church? No, it's, it's historical and it's cultural in the church in many ways. But those, those traditions began on a solid foundation. The point is when you hear God's word, there should be some response to it. Sometimes the response is you sitting there in the seat going, God, help me be different, or God, forgive my sin. And you do that right there in your seat. And many times if you've been here, I I offer to you to pray and receive Christ right there in your seat. The call to, to step out and come down, the call to make a public decision is a testimony. God's called me to respond to something that I've heard, and that's exactly what Jesus was doing right here. So don't let anybody pick on you because your church does an altar call. Because right here, Jesus did if you will, an altar call. He said, hey, there are two gates, there's two ways, there's two destinations, you have to decide. And so this passage is a call to a decision. And in this passage, those three things I just mentioned are exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said there are two gates, and everybody enters one of them. Listen to me, there's not a third gate. There's two. And you enter one of them in life. There are two paths, there are not three. There are not four. There are two paths in life spiritually, and you're on one of them. You say i don't want to be on one of them by default you're on one of them because you're walking on god's planet and you're breathing his air you're on one of those paths and then finally at the end of life spiritually your soul has one of two destinations heaven or hell There are not three there's no purgatory there's no in between there's no rest stop there is with god or there is separated from god and so jesus you said boy that's kind of insensitive Well, take it up with Jesus because he's the first one that said it, okay? He said that there are these choices and you have to make them. So let's think about them for just a minute. Let's start with the gates. And let's start with the wide gate. The gates represent salvation. They represent the spiritual decision that every human being makes, the decision to be saved or not to be saved, the decision to accept God's offer to forgive our sins, and to save our soul, or the decision to reject God's offer. By default, listen to me very carefully, by default, if you reject Jesus, you are choosing the wide gate. If you reject Christ, you are by default entering in at the wide gate. Well, what is it about the wide gate? How can we describe it? What are its characteristics? It is, first of all, easy to enter that gate. It's the easy gate. You can, you can go in because everybody's going in there. In fact, the wide gate spiritually is so easy. People like it because they can take all their baggage with them, all their spiritual baggage with them. They can keep their sin. Man, people like churches like that and, and, they, and they like religious systems like that. Well, I can, I can get some eternal security and live like a hellion here, what a deal. I can get some eternal security, and I can keep all the stuff that my flesh likes. We could articulate some baggage, but I think you know what it is. I know what mine is. And in the wide gate, the wide gate, the way of the world allows us to keep it, our sinful lifestyle. Do you know that in the wide gate, you can carry your religion with you? You can enter the wide gate and take your religion. Because the wide gate just accepts everybody and everything. It's the way of the world, and it is the way of being lost in your sin forever. You can take everything. You can take the things of this world that you love. You can take the passions of the flesh. Everything and anything's accepted. Now you know why the wide gate is so popular. People like the wide gate. It fits their lifestyle. Let's talk about how popular it is. Most of the world chooses the wide gate. That is a rejection of Jesus Christ and a living for themselves, living in this world and for all that this world has. Most people like the wide gate. The world itself brags on the wide gate. You Christians, you people who follow Jesus, you're so exclusive and you're so unkind and and you're so intolerant. By the way, not to be political because I never do that from here, But isn't it amazing that the people who don't like Jesus and tell us we're intolerant, they're more intolerant than we are, because they won't even listen. So the wide gate is popular because people can go in and feel socially accepted. Boy, what a term today. I want to be socially accepted. Well, the wide gate's for you then. You just hook arm in arm and sing Kumbaya right on into hell. Just go right on into wide gate and just hold hands and just enter right on in there, making one another feel good, and you just go right in the, in the, in the, in the wide gate. You know why the wide gate so popular? Because there's peer pressure. Who wants to be different? It's hard to be different, isn't it? It's hard to stand up when everybody's going this way to stand up and go, excuse me, God said that's the wrong way. That's right. hard to do that. It takes backbone, doesn't it? Can I challenge you graduates to be that kind of student in college? that when the world says, this stuff's okay, you say, no, it's not, because God said it isn't. So the, the wide gate is popular. People want to go, do you know, we have an inherent desire to be liked. We do. And, and, and there's peer pressure. And when, And when the crowd is the in crowd in school, you always want to be in the in crowd, didn't you? Now, I always, God gave me a gift and it's called introversion. So In school, when there was the crowd, I could care less, because I was just happy with me, and when I started dating Sherry, she's the only other person that mattered to me. So it was me and her, and and I didn't really care what anybody else was doing. The point is, though, in the world, the wide gate has this incredible peer pressure. Hey, be in the the crowd. You know, the world says today, in our society, if you don't see things the way we see it, you're weird. Well, I've been weird way before they got weird, so that's okay. (laughs) The point is, the wide gate is, has, has peer pressure connected to it, and our young people are so susceptible to that, and adults are susceptible to that. So the wide gate is, is easy, and it's popular. And thirdly, the wide gate is attractive. You say, how can it be attractive? Oh, Satan! Satan's the master of the wide gate. He's got the proverbial neon signs up there, the the flashing lights that say, hey, this is the way of fun. This is the way of real fulfillment in life. This will meet all your needs and all your desires in life, and it's a lie. It's a lie. You go in the wide gate and you find out that you need ever more and more sin to get the same response, and it leads to destruction. The wide gate, listen, the wide gate is attracted to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. Satan knows right where to get us. And so he designs the, the wide gate to be that appeal to the flesh and that fallen nature and, and and the promise of life to the fullness, to have all that you ever wanted, and it's all a lie. It's all a lie. In the world, the world is just being like a moth to the flame, drawn into the wide gate, rejecting Jesus and following that path of destruction. What about the narrow gate? You say, boy, the wide gate sounds kind of scary. Eventually it is. But well, let's think about the narrow gate. Jesus said, rather than go through the wide gate, he suggests we go through the narrow gate, and that is placing our faith in him. That is trusting him, confessing our sin, and by faith asking him to forgive our sin and save us and entering in the narrow gate. You know what it means by, by narrow? It is the Greek word stenos. It means constricted. It means small. It means, it means if you're going to get in there, it's just you. Okay, you can't there's no other way. Listen, it means that there's one way to be saved, and there isn't any other. Jesus said what in John 14, 6. You Bible scholars know. What did he say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are three things you need, by the way. The way, the truth, and the life. And he said, No man comes to the Father but by me. That's pretty narrow. That's stenosis, isn't it? That's, that's narrow. The world will tell you all religions are taking us to the same place. That's a lie. You say, how do you know it's a lie? Because Jesus said it's a lie. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. Here's what that means. The narrow gate is the only way to be saved. Jesus Christ is the gate. He's the one you've got to enter through. And unless you come by way of Jesus Christ, you aren't getting in. And by default, if you're here today and you say, man, I I just don't know, I'm going to think about it, I'm just not going to make a decision today, well, you are by default making a decision to go in the the big gate by not going in the narrow gate, because there are only two choices. Number two, what do we know about this narrow gate? Where the wide gate allows you to bring everything with you, all your baggage, guess what? The narrow gate's like a turnstile. The only person fits through there is you with nothing else. One writer said it's like spiritually naked. That's how you enter. You have to come with nothing. We can't come to Jesus and hang on to our sin. We can't come to Jesus and hang on to the world at the same time. What did Jesus say? You can't serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to hate one and love the other. So when we come to Jesus and we enter the small gate, the only thing that will fit through there is you. You come to Jesus and say, Lord, I come just as I am, that old hymn with nothing, and I ask you to save me. God, I don't come with any worth. I don't come with any pride. I don't come with anything saying that I deserve to be saved. In fact, I deserve hell, but I come asking for grace, and God saves us. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, you and your sins must separate, or you and your God will never come together. That's a good statement. You and your sins have to separate, or you and God can never come together. We have to come to a point to enter the narrow gate where we say, God, you're right, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. And there must be that willingness to put aside the world. You know what we call that in in theological terms? It's called repentance, where you go, man, I need Jesus, and I don't need the world. And so we repent, and we come, no baggage. And number three, the narrow gate. This is probably the most interesting thing Jesus said about the narrow gate. Look at verse 14 again. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. That's interesting, isn't it? You say, do I have to find the narrow gate? Well, that's what Jesus said. Here's how it works. The world has us so infatuated and so blinded by sin that when God calls, you have to pay attention. That's what it means. You have to give it your attention. You have to respond back to the title of the message, you have to decide. You have to decide. You have to make a conscious decision that, you know, the the wide gate and the wide road are headed in the wrong direction and I'm on it and I need to get off of it. And you have to look for what God's calling you to do and you have to say, man, I need to be saved. And you're the only one that can make that decision. You're the only one. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. If you read In in Matthew, he tells a parable of a wedding, and the, and the, the Lord gave a wedding invitation, and he was speaking to Israel. He said, I gave a wedding invocation to Israel when I sent prophets and messengers out to invite you to the wedding for the kingdom, you killed them, and you ran them off, and you didn't listen to them. And he said, so he sent an army, and he destroyed them. He was specifically speaking to those religious leaders that day. But then here's a part for you and me. Then he said he sent messengers out to the rest of the world. He said anybody could come. He went to the highways and the byways and the, and the alleyways, and he called those who were, were downtrodden and sinful and ugly, and he, and he opened the wedding, and he gave an invitation. The invitation is for you to come to Jesus and be saved and be part of the wedding, right. be part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and those who respond find the narrow gate. And they entered a narrow gate and since i'm talking about it there in matthew 22 let me tell you what happened at the end some guy came to the wedding and he wasn't in his wedding gown now i know you're going to go home read this matthew 22 you need to read it first 14 verses the guy shows up at a wedding and he don't have his wedding garment on listen and that day when they invited you to the wedding the guy who gave the wedding gave you the garment so he had everything he needed to get in the wedding to find the way but he didn't put it on and when he went in the master came to him and said hey friend what are you doing here? I so, said, well, I got this invitation, but you don't have your wedding garment on. When you come to Jesus and you get saved, you get a new garment, you become a new creation in Christ, right? You get his righteousness. This guy didn't have that righteousness and he was cast out into weeping and wailing and darkness. The point is, if you're here today or you're watching online and God, the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart and he's pricking your heart right now, you say, man, I need to get in the narrow gate and get off the wide gate thing. You need to get saved find it you need to respond you need to respond Jesus said many are called but few find it few respond so that's the two gates now those two gates naturally lead to two paths a person who comes in the narrow gate walks the path of salvation walks the path of a child of God in this life the person who enters the wide gate they walk in worldliness completely two different lifestyles now we Christians and our carnality try to blend them but it doesn't work very well You have to walk with Jesus or not walk with Jesus. you got to choose one or the other. Let's think about these two paths, and let's begin again with the wide path. The wide path represents the course of this world. The wide path is characterized by a sinful culture of our society, rebellion against God. and There are three things that I'm going to hit real fast for time's sake. There are three things that characterize the world course today. Three of them, and you will recognize. And the first one is what we call humanism, often called secular humanism. Humanism is characterized by agnosticism and atheism, a rejection of the existence of God. Nothing, listen, there is nothing more foolish for a human being to say than that God doesn't exist. That is the height of willful ignorance. I'll say it again. That's the height of willful ignorance. I've heard some very educated people say some of the dumbest stuff I've ever heard in my life, particularly with regard to God. Atheism, agnosticism, and agnosticism is just a chicken, a weakling declaration because you now have enough backbone to say you completely uh, deny the existence of God, so you just say, I'm agnostic. Well, get off the fence, pick one or the other, okay? Either God is real or he isn't real. And if he's real, you better pay attention, and he is real. So agnosticism, man's self-determination is secular humanism. We're our own God. We, we do what we want to do. Secular humanism exalts science and diminishes God, exalts man's ability, diminishes God's love and compassion for us. You know why evolution is so popular? Because they come from hell. That come from Satan. Because it's a deceptive tool to deny God and secular humanism eats it up. So secular humanists place man at the head of everything. That, listen, that characterizes our society today. It's all about making us better. It's all about, all about protecting the environment. Now, I'm all for protecting the environment. But you want to you a little in on what's going to happen at the end? If they, think, if they think there's global warming going on right now, <laughs> man, they ain't seen nothing. Because you know what's going to happen to this planet and the universe? It's all going to get burned up. Now, again, we are stewards of God's creation, and as stewards, we should take care of things. But it doesn't, man, I shouldn't have went down. It doesn't bother me a bit to drive my truck or my car and burn fossil fuels. You know why? Because there's more fossil fuel here than we'll use the rest of the time the earth's going to exist. You know why? Because God put it here for us to use. You know why the planet grows food and does all it does? Because God put it here for us to exist. So stop worrying about that stuff and serve Jesus, right? But secular humanism and the humanistic society says, oh, we got to protect the planet so that we can live for millions and millions of years. Man, you're going to run out of time because Jesus is coming back. He's going to rapture the church and he's going to bring his kingdom in. And I might as well just say it. This other thing, trying to live on the moon or Mars, that's as dumb as dirt. (laughs) Just because you can do it, don't mean you should. I said this the other night and I'll say it again. If you go somewhere where you got to take your atmosphere and some water and some food, you probably don't need to be there, right? Just saying. But again, what is secular humanism worried about? Oh, the world's going to get overcrowded, and we're going to run out of food, and we're going to have too many people. It ain't going to make it that long, because Jesus is coming back. The Bible says so. So, secular humanism. Second is materialism. The world system is eat up with materialism, mainly about money. You know why money is such a big deal today? You know why everybody plays a lottery? If you play the lottery, you can just feel bad. That's okay. You know why people play in the lottery? Because they want to win all that money. They want to win all that money. You have a better chance of getting struck by lightning than winning that lottery. Okay? But you know why people do it? Because, man, I could be a millionaire. I could win. I could, and why do people want money so bad? Because it is the ticket to have whatever you want in this life. I don't, I don't know much about Jeff Bezos. I know he's really rich. In the news, they had a picture of him on a yacht in Europe. In off of out, off of Palm Mallorca, I've been there. Sherry and I spent vacation on Mallorca there in Spain. Beautiful area. We didn't do it on a yacht like he's on. I can tell you that. <laughs> he's he's on a yacht that costs more than most of us will make in our whole lives. Okay? And what does everybody in the world want? They see that and they go, "Man, I want that." I want to get as close to that as I can get. What is that? That's the world system. That's the that's the craving that the world creates in us to satisfy the flesh, to have stuff, to have money and prestige and, and, and material things. Just remember this. God said, God promised, if you belong to him, he'll always provide what you need. What else do you need beyond that? A roof over your head, some food to eat, friends and fellowship, worship him. What do you really need? That, that. So don't let the world drag you into that. And, and number three, and let me touch on it very quickly. The third thing about the course of this world is illicit sexuality. Right. Satan knows that that is such an area of temptation for humanity because God created in us that desire for procreation, but Satan is a master of taking what God created to be good and perverting it and messing it up, and that's what he's done. And I say this to my, all four of my kids as they grew up, I said, look, sex is not bad. God created it to be good. It's wonderful inside marriage. The Bible says the marriage bed's undefiled, so get married and knock yourself out. <laughs> but outside of marriage, outside of being wed, outside of standing before God and being committed to one another, you are to abstain. We are to be pure. These bodies, the Bible says, belong to God, particularly for those who are saved. The Holy Spirit lives in us. If you're not married, you shouldn't be sleeping with people, boy or girl. And and just to say a word about homosexuality real quick. To speak the truth is not hate. I don't hate anybody. It's not homophobic to say what's obvious. No matter how bad a man says, I want to be a woman, he ain't a woman. Period. No matter how bad a woman says, I want to be a man, she's not a man. She's a woman. Now, that's not mean. It's not ugly. It's not being hateful. If it's red, it's red. If it's blue, it's blue. That's all I can tell you. God said, listen to me, God said, don't do that. God said, homosexuality is a sin. End of discussion. We don't need to try to rationalize it. You don't need to tell me, well, you don't know how I feel. I don't, because I'm attracted to my wife incredibly, so I really don't know how that feels. But the point is, no matter what the sin is that I'm attracted to, Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is the answer not me giving into it. And that is across the board. So if that makes you mad, I'm sorry. Let me say one last thing. If you ain't mad yet, let me say this. <laughs> this nonsense of teaching our elementary kids to change their gender is a, is a perversion and a great sin against God. Amen. Jesus said, if you offend the little ones, you might as well put a big old rock around your neck and go jump in the ocean. Let me tell you something. A fifth grader, Does not have the mental, emotional, or psychological ability to decide what they're going to be the rest of their life when it comes to sexuality. And to try to guide them or or a parent to say, Oh, my kid transitioned when they were five years old. That's a lie. It's a lie. Remember that whole peer pressure thing, I want to fit in? That's what that is. That's what that is. And again, don't hate anybody, but you better be very careful messing with the children. Better be very careful because God takes that very seriously. And so we've, we've gone down that path as a society, and that's what the wide path looks like. Now, let me hurry very quickly. How about a narrow path? Jesus said the narrow gate there in verse 14 is a difficult way, philebo. You know what that means? It means when you walk with Jesus, you can expect persecution. You can expect difficulty. You can expect affliction and tribulation. The narrow path is hard. And people who aren't really saved, they might play like they're on the narrow path, but they get off of it pretty quick when it gets tough. Let me tell you something, young people. Listen to me. When you go to college, you go out there in the workforce, they're going to try to force you on the broad way. But if you know Jesus, stay on the narrow path. Live holy before God. Surrender to him. Let me give you some, some illustrations very quickly. Being saved is simple, so simple a child can understand it. But walking the path is difficult, the most difficult thing you'll do in life. Let me give you some ideas about the narrow way. Number one, it requires total surrender to the will of God. You must come to God and be saved. Enter the narrow gate and then say to Jesus, my life belongs to you. I'm not my own. God, show me what you want me to do. That's the narrow way. The narrow way includes holiness. Say, pastor, I struggle with these sins and I struggle with these things. The narrow way calls a surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and asking God to make us holy. That's the narrow way. Forsake humanism, forsake materialism, forsake all the illicit sexuality of our day. Follow God, commit to him. The narrow way includes service. Serve God with your spiritual gifts. The narrow way includes sacrifice. Serve God, give of your life. Let me make application to our young people very quickly, and I'm going to close with the two destinations. You say, Pastor, how do we walk the narrow way when we're out there in the world? Well, Jesus just said it's difficult. There's going to be pressure. Your peers in college and your peers in the workforce are going to pressure you to do things you know you shouldn't do. They're going to pressure you to be involved in things you shouldn't be involved in. They're going to pressure you to be ashamed of praying over your food, they're going to pressure you to be ashamed of reading your Bible on your lunch break. They're going to pressure you to not be on the narrow way. Let me give you some suggestions very quickly. Number one, read and study your Bible every day. Listen to me. I know it's late. You're tuning out. You're ready for lunch. but once you listen to me. Listen. Read your Bible every day. You say, you mean I should read it every day? Listen. If you take one-tenth of the time you're on social media and get off of it and read your Bible for that one-tenth of time, you will be wonderfully changed. Read the Bible every day. Why? The Bible, this book right here, is the standard for life for every generation. Amen. If you want to know how human beings are supposed to live, it's in this book right here. If you want to know how to know Jesus, it's in this book right here. you want to know how to get in the narrow gate, it's in this book right here. you want to know what you're supposed to do once you're in the narrow gate, it's in this book right here. How can you possibly know what you're supposed to do if you don't read the instruction book? Read it. Let me give you another reason why you ought to read it. King David said in Psalm 119, Lord, I want to hide your word in my heart that I won't sin against you. And he went on to say later, it's a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. If you want to walk right in this life, turn on the flashlight. Turn on the thing that will guide your steps. Because see, the Holy Spirit, when you run into those people at school and at work who want to call you astray and say, hey, come walk with us, the Holy Spirit's going to pull up those passages in your mind that you read and say, you know better than that, don't do it. But that's the tool. That's the thing you need. So read your Bible every day. Number two, have a prayer life. Have a prayer life. Take time every day to pray. I prefer to do it in the mornings. People say, well, I pray at night, Pastor. Good. Good. But, but my problem is if I don't pray in the morning, I spend all my time at night confessing the sin I committed during the day and asking for forgiveness. So I would rather start in the morning and say, God, deliver me from sin today so that I don't have to be here confessing for 20 minutes at the end of the day. You say it only takes you 20 minutes? Well, sometimes longer, okay? But pray. Have a prayer life. Young people, have a prayer life. Have a time in your prayer closet, wherever you want to call it. Sit down, and talk to God, ask him to help you. Can I, can I encourage you, whatever the weaknesses in your life, and we all have them, I don't know what it is, wh- whatever it is, take it to God, ask him for help. Ask him to help you overcome those things. Number three, attend church. Young people have a tendency to get away from church. When they graduate, they go, ooh, I'm out from under mom and dad. Because see, there's a rule at our house. If you live in my house under my roof, you're going to church every Sunday. You say, well, uh, is that fair? I don't care if it's fair. It's my house. It ain't about fairness. It ain't about fairness at all. It's about what's right. And I told you, in my house, Sherry's the lovey-dovey. I'm the hammer. So you just, you know, you live there. That's what you're doing. You move out as a young person. You go, oh, I don't have to go to church anymore. Well, yeah, you can decide. Remember that whole decision thing? You can do what you want. But decisions have consequences, and you need to be in church. Why is church so important? Because we do this. We study the Bible and we encourage one another, and we come around one another, and we, and, we, and we help one another, and we pray for one another, which leads right into the next one. Be careful about who your friends are. Right. You see, the people you hang around with is the people you become like. There's this whole thing in, called social learning theory that, that really works. If you hang around with somebody who cusses like a sailor, and poor sailors get a bad rap, you hang around with somebody that cusses like a sailor, guess what you will begin to do? You'll begin to talk like that. If you hang around with a bunch of people who think this and that and the other thing's okay and yeah, there's no problem with this, guess what you'll begin doing? You'll begin doing those things. So be careful as a young adult who you hang around with. And then let me close with this. Two destinations. Jesus said, the narrow gate there in verse thirteen leads uh, leads to in verse thirteen forty leads to life leads to eternal life, but the wide gate leads to destruction. Destruction. Let's start with the wide gate again. The path, the wide gate, the wide path leads to destruction. The word there doesn't mean annihilationism. It doesn't mean that you cease to exist. We had a neighbor one time. I grew up in the country. We had chickens and horses and. We grew most of our own our food, and I used to work in the summer. Uh, young people, you'll like this. Talk about minimum wage. I bailed hay 10 hours a day in the hot of the summer for $20 all day. And somehow it worked out less than $2 an hour. Of course, I was so young, I didn't know the difference. But the point is, I had a neighbor who said, you know, when we die, we're just like that dog. We're going to get buried, and we're gone. Mm. I told the man as a kid, and my dad told him, that's not so you see, God created you in his image, and you have, listen to me, you have an eternal soul. Amen. And when this body dies, that soul's living on forever. You are an eternal person. And that soul is either going to live in heaven or hell. Your choice. Your choice now. The choice is no longer available when you die. Jesus said the wide gate and the wide path leads to destruction. That destruction is not total loss, it is eternal suffering and pain, it is eternal separation from the God who wants to save you right now. I hope you can see online and here this morning that if you've entered the wide gate and you're on the wide road, you need to get off of that path today. Because here's where the narrow gate and the narrow path leads. Jesus said it leads to everlasting life, it leads to life everlasting. Here's what everlasting life means. Listen to me. I wrote it down because I wanted to read it to you. Listen to this. Everlasting life means life with meaning, life with purpose, life with fulfillment, life with joy, life with peace, life with happiness, and life in fellowship with the God who created us and loved us. That means life here You see, Satan will lie to you and say, get on the broad path, come in the broad gate. It's so attractive, it'll give you all that, and it won't. Jesus is the only place to find true peace, true happiness, true contentment. And then, we were talking about this in our small Bible group Wednesday night, to spend eternity with God in heaven. Can the mind even comprehend? The Bible says it's not entered into the heart of man or in his imagination, the things that God has in store for those who love him. In other words, in your wildest imagination of how good life will be with Jesus forever, you can't even scratch the surface. So here's the decision, back to the title of the message, young people and older people. It's decision time, isn't it? Remember, you're, you're on one of two roads. There's only two choices. Which one are you on today? Are you on the wide path? Are you headed to destruction, eternal separation from God? Or have you entered the narrow gate? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you asked him to forgive your sin? Or are you on the way to heaven? I would strongly encourage you today, if you're not saved, to pray and receive Christ today. Let me close with the real application. And if Faith and Julie are watching, they'll appreciate this. Mr. Russ Weiss passed away about 2 o'clock this morning. Went to heaven. I went to visit him last week. He was in hospice in his bed at his home. I took his hand and I said, hey, brother, how you doing? He said, hello, shipmate. That's what he always called me because he was in the Navy. Man, we had a great conversation. We shared and talked about him, his life, and he'd been looking out the window singing and telling Jesus he was ready to come home. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. That's real. That's real. Because he left here this morning. He ain't in this world anymore. But you know what? He loved Jesus. And he was on the narrow road. He had entered the narrow gate. He walked a narrow path for years, for years, living for Jesus. Jesus met him in glory and said, welcome home, Russ. And all that stuff that we can't figure out, he's seeing it firsthand today. Which which road do you want to be on? You want to come to the end of life and face death and not be sure what's going to happen? Or you want to be like Russ, looking out the window, singing about Jesus, ready to go home? I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to be at the end. Jesus, it's time, and I'm ready. Take me home. Your choice today. Let's pray. Father, we have to make the most important decision ever for all of eternity. It's a spiritual decision of accepting or rejecting Christ. Today, Lord, I know there's someone under the hearing of your word under my voice that's watching online or watching this video or maybe in this room in the balcony or down here, young or old or in between. God, and when they look at their heart and they look at their life, they know that they have never entered by the narrow gate. Lord, they've never confessed their sin. Lord, they've never said to you, God, I want to be saved. Forgive me. Save me today. Lord, they know they need to be saved, and I pray right now in this moment in their seat and the quietness between you and them that, God, they would cry out to you from that seat and say, God, save my soul right now, Lord. Come into my heart and save me. Lord, I turn away from the world and I turn to you. God, save me. Lord, you'll save anybody who will ask. God, if they'll cry out to you with a broken heart, Lord, you'll save them. God, I pray right now they will. Lord, help our young people. God, these graduates, Lord, I'm proud of them. I thank you for them, for their, their time in the church and our youth ministry and our children's ministry. I thank you, God, for how you've worked in their lives and in their parents' lives as they minister to them. God, help them as they go off to college. Help them as they go off to school, as they go to work. God, help them to walk the narrow way. Lord, help them to walk with you. God, bless the invitation time. If someone needs to make a decision, I pray they would make it today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and the music plays, I'm going to be down front. I don't want to embarrass you. If you pray to receive Christ, would you come and just take my hand and say, man, I pray to receive Jesus today. If you need to be baptized, you want to be a part of the church, you come during this invitation and we'll help you.